right, welcome to another episode of Piecing It Together, the podcast where we take a look at a new movie and try to figure out what movies inspired it. And today on the show, we are talking about Eileen, a new film that is out starring Thomas and McKenzie and Anne Hathaway. And it's a great one, and I was really looking forward to talking about this. Joining me is Josh Bell from Awesome Movie Year, returning to the podcast, and we got a lot of great puzzle pieces to get into with this one, so that is coming up in a second. Before we get to it, I, of course, want to remind you, as always, to make sure you are subscribed to Piecing It Together wherever you listen to podcasts. You can follow us on social media at PiecingPod, and don't forget to join our Facebook group, Popcorn and Puzzle Pieces, where we continue the conversation about all the movies we talk about here on the show. This might be the first episode of the new year, the first, like, main numbered, you know, just covering one movie episode. Uh, if it's not, ignore that statement that I just made. But, you know, if it is, welcome to a brand new year of piecing it together. Got a lot planned, a lot of movies to cover, hoping to announce a whole bunch of new live shows soon, and all kinds of other fun stuff. So make sure you're following us on social media and in that Popcorn and Puzzle Pieces group, where you'll find out about all these things as we're doing them. But I'm happy to have you for a new year of podcasting. And again, thanks so much for being out there. Let's get to the conversation about Eileen. All right, Josh Bell is back with us. We're talking about Eileen. How's it going, Josh? Oh, not too bad. How are you? Uh, you know, we're starting off a new year. We've watched a million movies in 2023, and I'm excited to watch a million more this year, you know? Uh, yeah, me too. I saw your one million status uh, st statistic there on Letterboxd. It was pretty impressive. I yeah. think you broke Letterboxd. Every uh, every 50, it's now just like little dots, you know? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah, no, th this is a movie that, um, quite frankly, I just I didn't know anything about going into. It was just one of the screeners we got at the end of the year, and uh, I, I watched it and really was kind of blown away with, by it. It was a, you know, a last-minute favorite of the year, and uh, I, I think that... I don't know. I, I think it's an interesting movie in that it, you know, obviously we'll get into it with puzzle pieces, but, you know, we deal with these kind of mysteries where we just really have no idea where things are headed. Uh, and it's a really great version of that. Yeah. I mean, it was on my radar a bit more, I think, than yours, because I, I really liked this director, William Oldroyd's first film. And mm -hmm. but I hadn't read the book, which was a popular book. So, I mean, I think sure. a lot of people may have gone into this movie knowing about those kind of twists and because they read the book and it seems like it's fairly faithful to that book uh, by Otessa Moshveg, who also co-wrote the screenplay. But I think between the filmmaker and the trailer and some of the early like festival reactions, even though this movie is not as universally acclaimed as some of these sure. big year end films have been, but enough so, and especially when I was reading about it and specifically what was acclaimed, it sounded like, Oh, this is going to be something that I will like. And, uh, it was. Yeah. Well, and that, and that is before we get to puzzle pieces, that's the other thing I was going to mention is, uh, not exactly universally acclaimed. I feel like it kind of rests on whether or not you're okay with the shift that comes, uh, towards the end. And, and some people really do not like where it goes. Yeah. And I mean, I really did like that. And I knew, not necessarily where it was going to go, but I knew something was going to happen. You know, I had read enough sure. uh, reviews that say, oh, you know, this this movie goes in an unexpected direction or it takes a turn or whatever. So I anticipated something like that. And I guess if you were really vibing with the kind of uh, 
low key, not nah, maybe not low key is the right word, but but more grounded vibe of of the of the first two thirds of this movie, and you were hoping for some kind of more conventional like romantic connection between the characters and then right. it goes in the direction it does that might frustrate you but to me that's part of what is so appealing about the film totally agree let's start getting into some puzzle pieces what do you have for your first one well i'll start with i guess the most obvious one that i saw referenced in like almost every review and letterbox comment and whatever and and which i think and i think i probably referenced in my review and which is a reasonable thing to refer to which is todd haynes's film carol and mm -hmm. of course, this is another like lesbian romance set in that that I think is set in the 50s, whereas this is in the 60s. But, it, you know, in a similar era when this is definitely not the kind of thing that people are able to express openly, it's a connection between a kind of shy, younger, brunette more working class woman and an older, elegant, glamorous, confident blonde woman and who kind of takes the lead. And of course, this then goes in a very, very different direction. But I, I, I think the evocation of Carol was probably to some level deliberate. And I think it also probably plays into subverting expectations because I'm sure that William Oldroyd has to know that people are going to start thinking of that as they watch this movie and they're going to be expecting it to go in the direction that Carol does, which is, you know, there's conflict in that film, but it is actually a nice romance. And one of the refreshing things about that movie is that it's this lesbian romance of that era where it actually kind of works out and the characters are able to be happy with each other, which is not what sure. you expect. And so in a weird way, I think we're anticipating that here and then it really subverts it so i mean and carol is a great great film and it's it's excellent for what it does but that's ultimately something different no absolutely i had it on my list as well and i i think that it's a hundred percent deliberate i it has to be in the way that these two characters are set up and the parallels between their personalities and everything is to kind of subvert that and uh and and take it in that different direction as it continues on uh and as a footnote we had carol on our watch list for our Christmas trip, uh, which neither Gina or I had seen it. And that's where we watched Eileen too. Uh, they just happened. It was just a total random, Hey, we'll watch this out of the stack of screeners. And, uh, it's like, Oh, well, I got a puzzle piece here. That's yeah. Nice. Perfect double feature there. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. Uh, so I'll go with another fairly obvious one, I think. Um, another Thomas and McKenzie film, Edgar Wright's Last Night in Soho uh, from 2021, in which case she becomes obsessed with another, uh, you know, fabulous blonde, Anya Taylor-Joy in that film. Uh, movies that go in, you know, very different ways, but both have this, uh, you know, befriending of this shyer, timid girl played by Thomas and McKenzie and a much more glamorous woman. And uh, things go in a very kind of genre film, in that case, like a giallo kind of thing, uh, direction, but both using what's an, essentially a friendship between these women and then shifting into more genre mystery kind of territory. Um, I wasn't really a big fan of Last Night in Soho. I think that Thomas McKenzie is so much better here. But, uh, you know, I think that movie has a lot of fans, though. Yeah, I definitely had that on my list as well. And I was one of the people who liked that movie. It it got mm -hmm. really trashed, I think, when it was released. And I think even by the time I saw it, even though it was probably like 
opening night, it, I had seen so many negative responses that I figured, oh, this isn't going to be any good. And I was pleasantly surprised with a lot of the stuff that I thought worked in that film, even if it's not Edgar Wright's best movie. But definitely, I thought of that here. There's a fabulous dance scene in Last Night in mm -hmm. Soho, and I thought about the dance scene in the bar in this film as well. I mean, much less elaborate in terms of its visuals and whatnot, but still a, a scene where you build the connection between the two characters via this this dance scene. So uh, yeah, I think that movie's kind of underrated now. I wonder if it's going to get reappreciated over time. Yeah, I, I definitely look forward to revisiting it one day. I mean, I love Edgar Wright, who doesn't? But like, you know, it just didn't work for me at the time. But I'm wondering if like, through a different point of view of like kind of knowing what it is and what exactly he's playing around with in that film, like maybe it would work better on a second viewing. We'll see if I get to it one of these days, but uh, <laughs> yeah. What do you got for your next piece? So my next one is another one that I feel like is maybe a bit obvious. Um, another kind of classic of lesbian cinema. And that is the Wachowskis bound, which mm. is, I don't know if it's, it, it doesn't necessarily take a twist per se. Cause that's a movie where I think right from the start, you know, these people are going to commit some crimes, right? <laughs> Those two sure. characters played by Jennifer Tilly and Gina Gershon, they're already in that sort of criminal world when they make their connection. And maybe it's not clear from the start how deep they're going to get into it and how crazy things are going to get as that movie goes on, but it, more so than here. But I think it's another movie where the chemistry between those two stars is a lot of what carries it. And it, it's a movie that goes in some crazy directions. And the Wachowskis, I mean, it's amazing that that's their debut because they're so uh, in command of the visual style in that movie is fantastic. And the performances are great. And just the way they tell the story is so engrossing. And when the characters start doing some really heinous stuff, you root for them because we've established this connection. And, and I think that kind of happens here, even though ultimately in Eileen, like, I mean, spoiler, that they don't end up together or we assume they're not going to end up together. So you're not necessarily rooting for them as this criminal team, but you are rooting, yeah. I think, for Eileen herself as she really like burns down her life and 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 does terrible stuff. But but we've established her in, in such a way and and her connection to Anne Hathaway's character that we want that for her. And that's what you get in sure. battle. So. Yeah, that, that's one that I haven't seen since probably when it came out, and I, I need to revisit it one of these days. Obviously, love the Wachowskis, and I, I would love to check that one out again sometime soon. But it did come to mind, though, for me as well, uh, just because it's, you know, definitely when it comes to lesbian cinema, I think it's one that you kind of come back to. So I'm looking forward to revisiting that one of these days. Um I'll go to my next one, uh, A Simple Favor from Paul Feig uh, with Anna Kendrick and Blake Lively. Uh, another movie about a, a female friendship where a mystery kind of unfolds. Uh, and I think born out of both like this kind of distrust that maybe a lot of women friendships are kind of built on, but also uh, built on this very, and obviously this is ba based on a book, but you know, that kind of trashy, pulpy novel kind of uh, uh, a world that is, you know, very, very popular. And A Simple Favor is, you know, very, you know, knowingly uh, playing with that kind of a format, I feel like. And uh, this is just kind of maybe playing into that, but is, you know, similar in the way that it's it's 
building this this relationship and the uh, places where it eventually goes, where things become violent and, uh, you know, where you never quite are sure where the twists and turns might take you. Yeah, I like that movie a lot. I feel like I don't know if that's underrated, but it's a movie that people didn't know what to expect from it, probably when it sure. came out and, and is being more appreciated as, as time goes on. And that, that's a good piece. Yeah, I like that. I'm also uh, very disappointed in Paul Feig's subsequent directorial career, but that's <laughs> a subject for a whole other podcast. There's still time. Maybe he'll do something good. I think, aren't they days. making a sequel to A Simple Favor, which on the one hand seems like a terrible idea, but on the other hand, maybe that'll get him back on track. Yeah, we'll see. We will see. What do you got for your next piece? So I'm going to stick with the lesbian cinema. Why not? And go mm -hmm. with Park sure. Chan-wook's The Handmaiden, which mm -hmm. is, uh, again, like Bound, a movie where the crimes are perhaps a lot more uh, involved and also clearer from the start that some shit is going to go down related to mm -hmm. that. Um but again, it's a thing where these women encounter each other in a circumstance where they don't expect to have this connection. And it really like enlivens both of their lives. I mean, in a way that is sort of disastrous, one could argue in its consequences. But for them, uh, you know, in terms of their 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 personality, their emotions, it opens up something that they never imagined that they would experience. And I mean, like Bound, that's a very stylized film. It's a very visually inventive film. And I like the visual style of Eileen a lot, but it's not as, as dazzling as those movies. But I mean, I definitely think if you were coming up with this sort of, uh, you know, lesbian crime cinema canon or whatever, you know, all three of these movies would, would have a, a strong place in it. Sure. I, I've actually never seen The Handmaiden. I've always wanted to. It's been on my list for a while. I will definitely have to check that out. I might as well throw this one out there, get it my my final lesbian-related movie out there. Uh, let's throw Monster on the list as well. Uh, Charlie's Thrones, Eileen Warnos, uh, you know, role. Of course, she goes on the run with Christina Ricci's character in that. Uh, so there is the, uh, the love affair in there. There's also... Uh, violence in this movie uh yeah. so you know we we might as well say you know we always get into spoilers here while getting into puzzle pieces but where things do go in this big twist towards the third act is uh you know and hathaway's character has gotten herself into some trouble and gets thomas and mckenzie involved and then we find out that there's this kind of violent streak that maybe uh has always been there but she's never really had a chance to let it out thomas and mckenzie and and that is uh, where we go in this final act of the film. And just the idea of there's always been that, like, inside, and it's just waiting for that moment to kind of let it out, uh, definitely was thinking of Monster. Yeah, I mean, I think the difference there maybe is in, like, in this film and in, in Bound and in The Handmaiden, they're, they're, they're fictional stories, and so we can root for these characters to sure. commit these violent acts because sometimes either they seem justified or they're part of the like empowerment arc for the characters. But of course, Monster is based on a real actual serial killer. We don't really want to root for her, right? <laughs> Not a, not a good lady. Yeah. <laughs> sure, absolutely. But yeah, we got, we got a bunch of those in there already. So uh, what do you got next? Any more of those? Uh, I, well, I do have one more lesbian film. I, I, can, I can throw that in first. I was going to do something else. But uh, yeah, the, the, this is, I have a couple of these that this is kind of like a, a, a stand-in for a whole like, range of films. And so I, my pick is, is Daughters of Darkness which is a, a 1970s lesbian vampire film. And that is a whole 
very large subgenre, the lesbian vampire film, which thrived mainly in the 1970s. Um, mm-hmm. and, and Daughters of Darkness is one of the most well-known and one, I have only seen a handful of these and it's one that I've seen and saw fairly recently with Delphine Syrig, who was a major French actress in that era. And it, she plays this elegant older woman who seduces this somewhat naive younger woman. And in that case, she, you know, makes her a vampire, but I feel like it wouldn't be that far off from the twist of this film. If it turned out that Anne Hathaway was a vampire and was going to make Eileen a vampire too. So, um, yeah, but, but certainly in those movies, I mean, the level of lesbianism is at varying degrees of explicitness in those films. Um, but the vampirism is always a stand in for the actual, like, sexuality for the the lesbian connection and i feel like this sure you know we keep talking about this as a lesbian movie but of course they never even actually like get together no. in that way in no. this film and so a lot of that subtext was represented that way in those lesbian vampire movies. yeah that sounds like a fun one i i have not seen that it does have me thinking though and is there something i'm forgetting has anne hathaway played a vampire ever because she seems like perfect for it <laughs> she seems like a vampire <laughs> <laughs> she really does. I don't she think would. she has. Not that I can think of offhand. She needs to. Yeah. I, I want to see that movie. So, uh, yeah, the great one. Um, I'll also go to the 70s, although not a vampire movie. Um, I'm going with Terrence Malick's Badlands for my next one, uh, a movie that I saw for the first time last year and just absolutely loved so much. Um, but Martin Sheen, you know, taking advantage of Sissy Spacex, you know, na- naive young girl. But as things go on, you realize that she's just been waiting for this kind of opportunity to kind of let loose and live this kind of life. And uh, it's it's just an incredible uh, set of performances. I think you kind of get, between the two characters, you get that kind of a thing going on where the two characters really bring out the worst in each other, you know? So uh, yeah, I think Badlands is a great example of that. I would also kind of Throw in on top of that, we used Badlands as a puzzle piece for Bones and All a couple of years ago, which is another movie that does it in this, the exact same way. Yeah, Badlands is great. And Bones and All is great. I feel like Bones and All has been underrated for whatever reason yeah. and is is a really great example of that combination of the romance and the horror and 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 a movie where the characters do terrible terrible things and you're like yes go do yeah. it <laughs> yeah we want them to get away we want them to be in love we want them to just have a great life right yes exactly <laughs> yeah. good good stuff so, oh yeah what do you got next so okay what i was going to mention earlier and i mean i kind of mentioned already is william oldroyd's first film lady macbeth um, which I also really like, and I think is is underrated. And I don't know why it took him like seven years to make another movie, but I feel like because he went away for so long, maybe people didn't pay attention. Although they should, because it was for me at least the first time I saw Florence Pugh in like a major role, and she's become such a huge star. I feel like there should be more people rediscovering this film, and she is fantastic in it. And it's also based on a novel that I that I wasn't familiar with, but it's another story where it's this kind of repressed young woman who is being, you know, beaten down by the patriarchy like we have with Eileen and her father played by Shea Wiggum here. And she rebels against that via violence, via these Mm -hmm. really kind of horrible acts, but that we as an audience and that William Oldroyd as a filmmaker is rooting for because they're empowering this character. And, And I think, you know, Florence Pugh, 
is just as mesmerizing in that film as as the characters are here. And in that movie, it's just her. She doesn't have as this kind of other female figure to connect with. She ends up having an affair with a with a man, but he's just sort of the vehicle by which she, you know, commits these kind of heinous acts. So I don't know. It's become a really underrated film, I think, but it's it's very, very good. Yeah, I only know of it as that really early Florence Pugh movie. Like, you know, I really uh, need to check that out one of these days. I know you've brought it up before on the show. Oh, so, yeah, uh, I, I like it a lot. And and again, I think maybe because I'm like, oh, more people should see this movie. That's why it's yeah. come up. I definitely look forward to checking that out. Um, I will throw in... Uh, so talking about these movies that shift gear, this one's maybe a bit of a stretch. I was trying to think of a better version of this, but just recently we had a movie called Barbarian, uh, which also deals with a uh, a shift in tone, a shift in everything that's going on once people in a kind of strange house where you know something's wrong go down a creepy set of stairs into the creepy basement. And, of course, that movie goes in insane directions and is just full balls-out horror. But just that form of the shift happening once you start heading down the stairs, I thought of that one as an example of these kinds of movies. Yeah, I, I also was trying to think of examples of that because I definitely know that that's, a, you know, there's there's a whole range of movies that do that. And um, I have to shout out my awesome movie year co-host, Jason Harris, because actually just before we recorded this, he suggested Steven Soderbergh's Side Effects, which I think is a perfect example for this, is another like really underrated movie that I rewatched not that long ago to write about and was, you know, again, impressed with how he pulls that off. And that's a movie that really like lulls you in to thinking it's about one kind of thing before totally shifting and reorienting your whole perspective with its twists. And mm -hmm. uh, another movie, you know, speaking of Carol starring Rooney Mara, and it has uh, as part of its twist, this lesbian connection between the younger woman and the, uh, the younger woman and the older woman. I mean, in this case, they're, they're both kind of more sophisticated and manipulative than you initially realize that they are. But Rooney Mara and Catherine Zeta-Jones have some great chemistry in that film. So um, yeah, it's a really good movie. And I think that pulls off that kind of thing, which is hard to do, um, and does it really well. Yeah, it is really hard to do. Uh, someone like Steven Soderbergh can pull it off. Yes, so. <laughs> absolutely. Um, I, I probably shouldn't have saved this one for last because uh, I, I was actually writing down in my notes that like, I, I wasn't a hundred percent sure if I'm remembering it properly, but Hey, it's the last one. So whatever, but, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm going with, uh, Lynn Ramsey's you were never really here with Joaquin Phoenix. Um, I was thinking about these like bursts of violence that we get, uh, it, imagined by Eileen, uh, in, in this movie. And I'm kind of remembering that that happens in that movie with Joaquin Phoenix's character, who is a veteran who decides just kind of out of nowhere to save this young girl. And I, I remember there being bursts of violence. I'm remember I'm trying to remember if they're like spaced out throughout the film. And there's a similar way that Eileen, uh, you see them every so often, like where all of a sudden she just kills someone. And then it's like, oh, she was just imagining that. Uh, if that is correct, then hey, great puzzle piece me. But uh, <laughs> if not, you know, at least it happens in the end, I'm sure. So. Yeah, I've seen that. I remember really not liking that movie, and I don't recall if that happens. But um, that is a that is a good element to pick up on. And I hadn't I hadn't been thinking of that and trying to find. I was trying to find the movie with the with the shift in tone or genre or whatever. But there's definitely got to be other movies that use that device of that character kind of 
repeatedly imagining, you know, committing this terrible violence against people in her life. Or it's not just violence in this movie. I mean, she's also imagining these like sexual situations. Sure. You know, sure. and clearly those two things are kind of connected for her. But I'm sure that's done in other movies as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, so do you have any other pieces? That was my last one. Okay, yeah, I have a few more. Um, I mean, another one that initially when I was trying to think of the movies that 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 go through that kind of shift, I thought of Gone Girl, which is not quite the same, but is also a movie where we have this this female character who seems like a victim or seems like she's sort of innocent in a way, and then the movie shifts and she's actually like this, you know, devious, violent person. And it's sure. not quite this shift in tone because I feel like Fincher keeps the same tone. David Fincher keeps the same tone, but plot wise and in terms of the character, you definitely have to reassess your feelings about uh, Amy Dunn there in that movie at a certain point. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I was actually thinking about that one for my shift uh, piece as well. So it's funny that that's where you kind of came in on that one. Right. So. And and I think I think side effects is probably a better example of, of really the same kind of thing that Eileen is doing. But but. Gone Girl does some of it as well. Um, And then another movie where I was just sort of looking for something to represent a range of films. I mean, this this has a lot of Alfred Hitchcock influence and the the stylistically approaching that. And the one I I settled on was Rope, which is Mm -hmm. also a movie that involves two people with, uh, I mean, in that film, of course, because it's from the 40s, it's all subtext, but who have this homosexual connection. Um, in that case, it's it's two two men who have this this charged relationship, and they're kind of egging each other on, and they commit a murderer, and they're teaming up to do it in that film, rather than you know one of them kind of taking things too far. But in a way, it's it's sort of the gay male, uh, you know, repressed version of something like The Handmaiden or Bound. Mm. Um, where you're rooting in a way for these guys to get away with something terrible because you're just so into their relationship. And I mean, sure. visually it's, it's Hitchcock and it's famous for appearing as if it's one take and certain aspects of that don't necessarily hold up as well. But I mean, certainly I could have gone with Psycho, which also has that kind of shift in the middle of it very, very famously. Um, or, you know, the movie, a movie like Marnie or something that has the, the quote Hitchcock blonde, you know, that is being played <laughs> with here with Anne Hathaway's character, but I decided to pick rope. Yeah, no, for sure. And, and there's, there's a lot of this movie that I think is, you know, trying to evoke that, you know, classic Hollywood and, you know, it's, it's a little slicker, you know, but still it's definitely going for it. Yeah. I wonder like watching this movie when the like o- opening credits font showed up, I was like, oh yeah, that's, you know, I would love, I would yeah. have loved to be more of like a font nerd and be able to pick a puzzle piece <laughs> that used that same font, but I'm not there. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Also, by the way, I, on the topic of, you know, dressings, like a font, uh, amazing score in this movie. Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I mean, all of the, you know, I, I said that it's not as visually dazzling as something like rope or bound or the handmaiden, but I mean, it looks fantastic. It, it is, yeah. it is really, really well put together from a technical standpoint. So I'm going to throw in, uh, one other piece actually, and you're, you're going to hate this piece, but, uh, <laughs> I, I'm going to throw Joker on the, uh, the puzzle piece list here. I mean, we do have somebody who's 
you know, his family kind of sucks. You know, we, we mentioned, uh, you know, Shea Wiggum, who is so funny here. Uh, he's so great. He's just a real asshole of a dad. Uh, you know, her, her uh, you know, opportunities and work have not really panned out. You know, college is a big waste of time. Having to take care of her, her mom, you know, kind of put a damper on everything. Her work sucks. Everybody at work kind of treats her poorly. Um, where does she end up? violent tendencies (laughs) so you know uh i think you got some joker in there yeah yeah no i mean i don't like joker but i think that's that's a fair pick and i wonder if uh joker folie a deux will be an even better puzzle piece for this or when you do your episode on that eileen will be a puzzle piece it could very well happen i hope so let's let's hope that happens uh any other ones that you wanted to bring up uh the last thing i had is maybe a a little a little weaker but let's let's end on a weak note and um you know we mentioned a thomas and mckenzie movie the anne hathaway movie i thought of was the devil wears prada where she's in the young naive brunette role and meryl streep is in the dominant older blonde role and there's no romance there and there's more antagonism between those characters but i feel like maybe Anne Hathaway was attempting to channel a bit of what Meryl Streep did in The Devil Wears Prada, you know, that she was in with her when she was uh, playing Rebecca in this film. That's awesome. That, that's not a bad one to go out <laughs> on. I like it. I All like right. it, Josh. Good stuff. Uh, we will go down our list of puzzle pieces here, and then we'll get into some closing thoughts. We talked about Carol, Last Night in Soho, Bound, A Simple Favor, The Handmaiden, Monster, Daughters of Darkness, Badlands and Bones and All, Lady Macbeth, Barbarian, Side Effects, You Were Never Really Here, Gone Girl, Rope and Some Other Hitchcock, Joker, and The Devil Wears Prada. I think a great uh, list of things, obviously a lot of uh, lesbian-related things, a lot of uh, violence, uh, a lot of third-act violent shifts, you know, all kinds of stuff going on. Any uh, any closing thoughts? Anything we didn't quite get into while going through puzzle pieces? I think we really covered a lot of it. I mean, my only closing thought is that this movie is great. You know, if you, yeah. we, I think this is out now uh, later than your uh, top 10 movies of the year. You heard me talk about it there, <laughs> if that's mm-hmm. the case. It was one of my favorites this year. I, I really liked it. And uh, I hope William Oldroyd makes another movie soon and doesn't, you know, take forever. I don't know why it took that long, but hopefully people, producers see this movie and are eager to give him the chance to make whatever he wants to do next. I completely agree. Uh, Great movie. I'm looking forward to seeing uh, Lady Macbeth for the first time soon. But uh, yeah, great movie. And I'm glad we got a chance to cover it here, Josh. Is there another movie you watched recently you'd like to recommend to our listeners? Yeah, I was trying to think this because, of course, uh, you know, we've been spending, I don't know whenever this comes out, but uh, as as the, we're recording this, we've been spending all this time, as you said, watching a million movies, you know, yeah. trying to catch up. And a lot of these are going to be discussed already. But one of the movies that I watched in the midst of catching up on all of these big movies. And this isn't, you know, it didn't make my top 10, but that I quite enjoyed. And it wasn't as much on the radar for like awards movies is a film called Cherry that is sort of an indie comedy and connects to this weird subgenre, I guess you could say of the like abortion comedy, you know, movies like Obvious Child and Plan B. And um, it's just a really well acted Alex Truhit is the star of this movie playing this kind of 20-something screw-up who doesn't know what to do with her life, and she discovers that she's pregnant, and she, because of the timing of it, she has basically like just one weekend to decide, is she going to get an abortion, or is she going to keep this child, or what is she going to do? And it it follows her as she 
you know, kind of talks to her friends and her family members and and her boyfriend, who is the father of this child. And it's a light, it's a fairly light comedy, um, but it also, you know, deals with that heavy subject. And Alex Druhit is just really, really good in that role. Uh, Sophie Galibert is the director and co-writer. And it's just a, a really, you know, despite the heavy subject matter, like a fun nice watch. It's great to spend like 75 minutes with this character. So it's not on my top 10 or anything, but I feel like it's an underrated movie. And I think it's streaming right now. It's called Cherry. So check it out. Yeah, it sounds really good. They probably should have changed the title. So not to get confused with that horrible Russo Brothers movie. Yeah, but, uh, that's I mean, it's the name of the main character here. But uh, mm. yeah, that's an unfortunate uh, byproduct of that i think yeah yeah for sure josh what's going on over on awesome movie year we are talking about perhaps the awesomest movie year ever often named that by people who know these things it's 1939 and i'm excited that we're going so far back into film history so that is going on right now a lot of really like major classics and uh some other stuff too that we're talking about in that season so you can check that out Wherever you listen to podcasts, at, also at awesomemovieyear.com and uh, Awesome Movie Year, Facebook and Instagram and Awesome Movie Pod on Twitter. Come join us on our journey through 1939. I feel like after 17 seasons of this podcast, people should consider, you know, the three of us, uh, people who know what Awesome Movie Years are. True, know? true. But I think people who came before us with their mm. knowledge about, uh, you know, the, the greatest years of cinema have already said that. So we'll have the final word, of course. We'll, we'll, yes. we'll make that final distinction. Definitely, definitely. Josh, as always, thanks so much for being here. Thanks for having me. I'm Josh Bell. And I'm Jason Harris, and we co-host a podcast called Awesome Movie Year. Each season, we take a look back at an awesome year for movies, which is every year. We deep dive into these specific years, and we pick out why they were such great years for films. We go over the biggest hits, the biggest flops, the best picture, and some personal picks, some cult classics. Years we've covered in past seasons include 1994, 2003, 1977, and 1984, and we've got all of film history to look forward to. So check us out at awesomemovieyear.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. All right, so I hope you enjoyed that conversation about Eileen. Thanks to Josh Bell for joining me on that one, and thank you to all of you for listening if you're enjoying piecing it together, of course, make sure you are subscribed wherever it is that you're listening right now. And maybe if you get a second, drop us a little five-star rating and review. That would be very helpful, either on Apple Podcasts or Good Pods or Spotify, wherever it is. Those ratings and reviews help make sure the podcast grows in the charts and then more people will get to check the podcast out. We'll grow this thing. We'll get to do all kinds of new fun stuff. So... Make sure to do that. You could also follow us on social media at PiecingPod. Join our Facebook group, Popcorn and Puzzle Pieces. And don't forget, we do have a Patreon, the Produced by David Rosen Patreon, where I post bonus and advanced content from Piecing It Together, from Awesome Movie Year, Josh's podcast, and from my music career. And uh, you can find that at patreon.com slash Rosen. And speaking of my music career, uh, as it is a new year, like I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, uh, in 2024, I'm doing this thing called 24 for 2024, and I am releasing 24 singles this year on the first and third Friday of every month. So much new music on the way. Uh, it's 
kind of ridiculous, honestly. But, um, you know, so make sure you're checking out David Rosen on Spotify, Apple Music, wherever it is that you listen to music. These songs, like I said, first and third Friday of every month will be hitting there. The first one was my cover of The Cure's The Hanging Garden. Uh, after that is a song I've been sitting on for years now that actually has an animated music video called Burn. Um, but I'm going to play another song, which will be out a little later this year. It's one of these 24 songs that's coming out. Uh, this one's kind of got a, uh, I guess, kind of a sexy vibe to it, which I thought would be a good fit here. So let's play this song called Afterglow, which is one of the 24 songs for 2024. Hope you enjoy it. We'll be back with more Piecing It Together real soon.
All Points West production, produced by David Rosen in Las Vegas.